This evening's scripture is Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor at Grace. We are reading uh, tonight, we're not reading, we are talking tonight about Psalm 13. And we're talking about Psalm 13 because we want to spend the next couple of weeks in the Psalms. And this is a great place to start for a people who are living in troubled times. And Bo has articulated it well already. It's something we struggle to do, to talk about our trouble, to talk about the times that we live in and the way that those times impact us. And so it's good, it's right, it's important for us to routinely come back and talk more about what trouble we go through and how it's affecting us because we don't have good opportunities to practice in our culture. We know we have a bad relationship with suffering if we stop to think about it. So we want to talk about Psalm 13, and we want to tell you tonight emphatically that you should stop suffering in silence. And that's part of why we do things like a corporate lament, so that we get the opportunity to suffer together. We get the opportunity to share with one another in our sufferings, because this is God's plan for us. He does not plan for us to suffer silently by ourselves. He plans for us to bear one another's burdens. And so we want to talk about what God has for us in Psalm 13. We're going to go uh, next week to Psalm 22 and talk about what Jesus shows us in himself as the suffering servant. What does he give us as a model? And what does he give us as a hope? And then we're going to wind up in Psalm 73 and also in John 3 and John chapter 20. But We're going to spend a few weeks in the Psalms, and we're going to talk tonight about suffering in silence. And we chose this image. I I asked um, Maggie Baker and and Jacob Varble if they could give us this version of this image because it's pretty easy to imagine yourself on a pier with a giant wave about to sweep you out to sea and what that feeling is. It's It's easy to imagine what it would be like to be overwhelmed in that way. And so we chose this image because if you were there... If you were in that spot and you were about to be swept out into the ocean, you wouldn't have much you could say. There wouldn't be many people who could help you. And so here's your visual touch point for what suffering in silence looks like. Hold on to that. Not that you don't already know, right? You've all done this. You've all suffered silently, not told people things. But here's a visual for you. I said we have a bad relationship with suffering. It started before we were born, most of us, right? Most of us inherited a bad relationship with suffering because our parents gave it to us, because our grandparents gave it to us. Anybody afraid to cry in front of their grandparents because of the looks they would get? Anybody hear things from their parents or their grandparents? Uh, Like when they they seriously injure themselves, they hear things like walk it off or rub some dirt in that, it'll be fine, right? You can sleep when you're dead, that sort of thing. You heard those sorts of things from your parents and grandparents? You've inherited 
often you've inherited this bad relationship with suffering. And we are especially bad in the American Midwest. I don't know if, uh, I know in fact that not all of you are from the American Midwest, but know that here in the Midwest, in America, we really don't like to tell you we're suffering. We will do just about anything before we tell you that we're actually struggling. So, full honesty uh, right now, I'm tired. My back is a little sore. I can't, you know, stand here. I'm going to knock this thing over. Uh, We had a birthday party for my newly minted 13-year-old daughter at our house today. It was not a restful environment in the house. Those are the sorts of things you don't share with people, right? When people ask you how you're doing, you're supposed to say, I'm I'm fine, right? I'm fine. I had a student one time I taught for 10 years, and every time uh, I told her I was fine, she would say, oh, you're freaked out, you're irrational, you're neurotic, and you're emotional? Is that what you mean? Right? Which was great coming from a teenage girl. I really appreciated that. (laughs) But that's essentially true. Right? When we say we're fine, we're masking all kinds of things. Maybe you've seen the meme in the Midwest. If you run into somebody and they tell you they're living the dream, they're almost ready to like walk off a cliff. Right? Like send help because that person is really struggling. So we have a bad relationship with suffering. And it's something that we've inherited. And it goes beyond just the way that we talk to each other, the way that we hide, the way that we try to mask our feelings. It goes into us ignoring the truth about the world that we live in. Because the truth is, the world that we live in is a fallen place. And if we don't cry out earnestly, like we practiced tonight, we might cry out in desperation. David cries out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And that feeling, right, can be expressed honestly. It can be expressed as a concern, a burden that we unbear to the Lord. Or it can be an accusation. And we can question God and challenge God and say, God, what are you doing? I don't think you're as good a God as I could be. And if we don't confess one to another what we're struggling with, and if we don't open our hearts one to another, we will get to that accusatory position really quickly. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve to some degree. In Genesis 3, you guys know this story. Adam and Eve are made very good. Adam and Eve are created to be in right relationship with God and with nature and with each other, right? They've got all of this good stuff. And they get to that place where they're saying, God, you know what? I think we know better. I think we can do it better than you can do it. We're going to go our own way. And they're not accusing God. They're not saying, how long, O Lord? Uh, But they are beginning to question God's goodness. And if we don't give to each other what God has given us, if we don't love each other the way that he's loved us, we get to that place where we start to think, maybe we know better than he does. So I'm going to accuse you, God, of giving me the wrong thing, the wrong life, the wrong relationships, whatever it is. So you all probably know Genesis 3. You may not be as familiar with Isaiah 24. So I want to read Isaiah 24 because this is another good description of what happens when we choose to make ourselves God in his place. Isaiah 24 says this, The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws and violated the statutes and broken the everlasting covenant. We are the they, by the way. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. Isaiah is talking about a future time. Isaiah is also talking about now. This is right now. 
we are suffering the impact of the curse. And he points out that not even the highest people of the earth, not even the wealthy, not even the people, of, the people who appear to have everything, have anything, right? They are also languishing. So don't look at other people and their success. And we'll read later in Psalm 62 about how wealth and, and the things that we can gather for ourselves are just a deception also. But don't look to the high people of the world and think, maybe, maybe if I just had more stuff, I'd be better. Because that's not true either. So this is the situation that we find ourselves in. Why is there suffering? Because of the fall, because of sin. The world is broken. And we live in this broken world. And ultimately, we have a choice. One of two things could happen, right? We could give into that suffering. We could say, fine, I'm just going to ride that wave and I'm just going to see where it takes me and just crash whenever I crash. And we're going to talk about what that amounts to. But we could also live in faithfulness. God has given us a path. He's given us an option. He's given us his son. And so we can live in faithfulness and that has a different outcome. And God wants to use that in a specific way. So we're going to talk about that too. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to see who you are tonight, how you have suffered for us, how you've accomplished the work that needs to be accomplished on our behalf, and how we can trust you, and how we can trust the body that you've given us, and how we can cry out to you. Lord, show us in truth that we do not have to suffer silently alone. I pray this in your name. Amen. There are going to be lots of temptations for you to suffer silently. Like I said, we have a bad relationship with suffering, and so already the culture is kind of stacked against you, right? But your body also has some natural responses, not sinful things, just natural physical responses that make it a temptation for you to suffer silently. When David says, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's describing a pattern that many of us have fallen into where we take counsel with ourselves, And that's it. We have hurt and we have pain and we tell exactly us. And we don't tell other people because we're scared of what other people are going to say. We don't want to look foolish in front of other people. We've been told, perhaps, that that's not what you do. Don't share your problems. Don't be a burden. You've probably heard something just like that. And so we take counsel with ourselves, and it runs in our mind over and over and over again how we're suffering. And so this is a natural temptation. What David is talking about here, this is something that all of us do. It's a natural response to suffering. And there are other natural responses to suffering. Like your physical body, when you're being attacked, already suffering from something, and then you're hit with something else, we tend to pull in, right? Physically withdraw. Because we don't want to be hurt anymore. So we're going to protect ourselves, right? We're going to stop talking to God even because we don't want to be hurt anymore. And it's not just him. We're going to withdraw from him and from other people We're not going to shut down when people try to talk to us, when people try to interact with us. And even emotionally, right, we're going to try not to feel. And all of those things are natural responses. That's the human body trying to protect itself. But that means the temptation for you to suffer alone is great. Because God entering in, the body of Christ entering in, those are challenges. And when you're already suffering 
these things are going to be, they're going to be easy. They're going to be safe. They're going to feel like they're safe. To just withdraw, just stop feeling, stop processing, just be. Anybody said that before? I can't go out tonight. I just need to be at home alone is what you mean, right? I want to suffer in silence. Leave me alone. It's a temptation. It's a strong temptation. And when we do it, the consequence is that we're rejecting salvation. And when I say that, don't, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that somehow by suffering in silence that we can make Christ's death and resurrection ineffective. I'm not saying that. We can't do anything to make his death and resurrection ineffective. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. When we have his love, nothing can separate us. But what we can do is say, God, you stay right over here, right at the end of my arm. I don't want you to get any closer. I don't want to be healed. I would prefer that you don't speak into my life right now. I'm going to suffer silently. And we can do that um, by withdrawing from him, right? When we have that tendency to withdraw physically, when that, when that temptation comes in, we can also pull ourselves away from him. When we're at home and we're just being right? Because I just need some time for myself to just be. We don't tend to go to the word of God. We don't tend to go to prayer. We tend to just be and withdraw from him. And that doesn't help. And we also tend to withdraw from the body because we don't want pesky people asking us questions about how we're actually feeling, right? We want to say fine. And they say fine. And then we go our separate ways. And that's, that's the agreement we have here, right? In the Midwest. That's how it works but it doesn't make for healing and it doesn't make for strength. And so we separate ourselves from the body and we also ignore the feelings that we have to address if we want to heal. And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that your feelings should be guiding everything that you do because our hearts are deceitful and our hearts will mislead us. But your feelings are important and you cannot ignore them. They are telling you something about what's going on inside of you. And so if you just take counsel in your soul all day long, if that's where you're dwelling in that repeat cycle in your head all day long, you are not paying attention to important feelings that you should pay attention to. And if you're not talking to God and you're not talking to other people, you're not going to make sense of that. It's just going to be a burden. It's just going to be pain and sorrow. And God does not want that for us. He does not want us to suffer in silence. So the impact of rejecting uh, him, right, of rejecting the body is that we put salvation at arm's length. We say, don't get close enough to me to actually do something. Uh, David says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David knows that unless God intercedes, this is where suffering and silence leads. Sleeping the sleep of death, your enemies gloating over you because they have won the battle over you. David knows. He's like, that's where we're headed. That's where I'm headed, Lord, if you don't intervene. So that's the choice. That is one choice. You can stop suffering in silence by just giving in to suffering and letting it overwhelm you. And you will be sleeping the sleep of death. That is a choice. We have another choice. We can cry out to the Lord. Proverbs 18.1 says this. It says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 
And I have don't be a fool written there because the writer of Proverbs, the writers, there's more than one, the writers of Proverbs are constantly making this distinction between moral righteousness and moral foolishness. When they say, uh, when I say fool here and when Proverbs talks about being a fool, breaking out against sound judgment, it's not talking about doing silly stuff like you did when you were in junior high. Anybody remember junior high? It's unfortunate, right? Most of us have blocked it out, right? That's when you started suffering in silence. Yeah, that's not the foolishness we're talking about. We're talking about moral foolishness. We're talking about knowing what's right and choosing what's wrong. And when you isolate yourself, and the NIV and other translations talk about being unfriendly, right? When you're just, when you say to friends, no, I don't want to be with you. When you isolate yourself, you're breaking out against all sound judgment. God wants us to cry out to him because it's, the good and right thing to do. He knows that it is a foolish path that we choose for ourselves. More so, Proverbs says, right, it's the way that leads to death. The one that we choose for ourselves is the one that leads to death. So he says, don't do that. Cry out to me. Don't choose death. Choose life. And even if we could, even if we could somehow escape all of the internal things, we have enemies. David says in the psalm, right, he says, I have enemies out there and I don't want them to prevail over me. And we know from the word of the Lord that our enemies are not flesh and blood. It's not people. We want to think that our enemies are people, but our enemies are the powers and the principalities in this world that want to destroy us because they want to destroy the work of the Lord. And so we do have enemies and we can't save ourselves from those enemies. If they were people, maybe, Even people who are enemies, we can't save ourselves from. And those are the people we're supposed to love. So we're not talking about people here. We're talking about spiritual forces. And we know that we can't stand against them. Only the Lord can. And so he says, cry out to me. I'm going to read Psalm 62. If you have a Bible, you want to read with me, read with me. Psalm 62 tells us where we can find help. Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They, our enemies, only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. And now the repetition, because we need to hear it again. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Listen to those instructions. Pour out your heart before him. Do it corporately. Don't suffer in silence. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together, lighter than a breath. David here is saying, don't believe the lie that just because you're a poor person, that somehow you're like the salt of the earth and you're, you're going to make it, or that you're somehow better if you're a rich person. Both people die and they're gone. And he says, put no trust in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. And if riches increase, if you happen to get some more money, don't set your heart on that either. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. 
for you will render to a man according to his work. David knows that we need to cry out to the Lord. We know that he knows that that is important, not just the crying out to the Lord, but the crying out in the congregation. Because look at what he says here. He says, oh, one more time. Yep, that's right. I did it right the first time. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Give me this light in my eyes, because it's only you, Lord. You alone are the one to whom belongs salvation and strength and refuge. It's you, God. So we're going to cry out to you. And we know that he's doing it corporately because verses 5 and 6 say, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And we know that that is a corporate call, not only because of the instructions uh, that Andrew read at the beginning that this was for the choir master, but because singing is a corporate exercise for David. He might have sang by himself. We're not saying that David didn't sing, right, when he was taking his equivalent of a shower all by himself. But we know that he sang in the congregation. We know that he wrote these songs to be sung with all of the people together. And we know that people today still sing the psalms in this way. And our responsive reading tonight, right, and our songs tonight, these are corporate confessions, not just of who God is, but of how we're suffering. That's why we do this. Because we can't continue to suffer in silence. Because when we do, we destroy ourselves. We hold salvation apart from us. And we don't do what God intends for us to do, which is care for one another. So we can cry out in the midst of the congregation. We've shown you tonight what that looks like. And I told you already that this is what David is talking about when he talks about singing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with us. But I want to give you two other examples of where this happens in Scripture. One in Ruth chapter 1 and one in Samuel chapter 1. You guys probably know these stories. They're not new stories to you. But in Ruth, we get the story of Naomi who marries a man, tries to make a life in Judah, and there's a famine. So she's got suffering, right? So she takes her husband and her two sons, and the four of them go to Moab, and they try to find work. And there her husband dies, and both sons die. And so add to famine, no food, and leaving your home country now the death of your husband and your two sons. She's suffering significantly. And then one of her daughters-in-law leaves, but Ruth stays. And Ruth is a blessing to her. Throughout the story, Ruth is a blessing to her. Ruth is a friend and a family member who she shares her suffering with. And Naomi doesn't just share her suffering with Ruth, right? She shares her suffering with the whole congregation. When they get back uh, to Judea, she says, hey, stop calling me Naomi. That's a name of blessing. Start calling me Mara. God has brought calamity into my life. So she actually tells her friends and family, hey, I need a different name because of the suffering that I'm going through. And I want you all to know this. And if you're thinking, how would that work out in my day and age, right? Wow, would people really think I'm stirring up drama if I change my name? Look how bad my life is, right? Call me this, whatever it is. I don't know. What would we call a person who suffered? We don't even have a name for it, right? Not good. Call me not good because my life is not good. We would think, oh man, they're really drawing the wrong kind of attention to themselves. But Naomi is just suffering with her community. She's not suffering in silence. And God uses her community both to suffer with her and to rejoice with her when he brings rejoicing at the end of that story. 
Likewise, in 1 Samuel, we get the story of Hannah, who does not have a child, and she's crying out to the Lord. And Eli, who is a leader in the faith, sees her. And at first, he assumes that she's drunk because she's praying so fervently, and he can't hear the words coming out of her mouth. And so he assumes the worst. But they talk, and then he understands what's going on, and he's able to give her a word from the Holy Spirit of encouragement. And she needs that. And we have many leaders, not just pastors, not just elders, not just people who are officially recognized as leaders, but there are men and there are women in our lives who have taught us from the word, who have taught us how to pray, who've taught us how to study the word. And we need those people to speak into our lives. We need to tell them that we're suffering so that they can encourage us. And when Hannah does this, the Lord speaks to her and encourages her and uses that relationship. So we need our brothers and sisters. We need our leaders. We, in fact, need the whole body of Christ. Uh, 1 John 4, if you you want to, you can turn there. I'll read a little bit from 1 John 4, too. But this, uh, this is so important as well because this is what God's plan is for us as a body. I have lost 1 John 4. Where'd it go? I'm going to tell you what it says because I can't find it. My pages are very small. I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, God sent his son. He says, I have given you each other and I have given you my son. I'm going to read here in uh, 1 John 4, uh, starting in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is why he's given us the body. Because his son came and he showed us what love looked like. And now he has given us not just his son who has gone away, but his Holy Spirit in all of us to encourage all of us, to help all of us. When we share our sufferings, we don't suffer in silence. We enable the whole body of Christ and the Holy Spirit working through the whole body of Christ to encourage and to heal and to build us up, to give us joy. When we reject the body of Christ, when we reject our leaders and our family members and we insist on suffering in silence, we lose all of that. It's like we send it away. So here's my encouragement to you tonight. I want you to be faithful to your faithful God. I want you to cry out to the Lord in the midst of the congregation. I told you that we were going to read uh, our, in the next couple of weeks that we we're going to different psalms. So we're going to talk about the Lord being our refuge in Psalm 73. We're going to talk about um, how he has suffered just as we have in Psalm 22. And then we're going to talk about him conquering sin and death in John 3 and John chapter 20. Because ultimately, if he hasn't conquered sin and death, then keep suffering in silence, Right? Paul says, listen, if there's no resurrection, then none of this matters. So this is important, and this is why we're going to end here in three weeks. And it won't be me. Jason's going to carry the load. You can blame him for what happens next. I absolve myself, right? Um, But no, we're going to end here because this is so very important. Jesus gives us the example, and then Jesus gives his life. And he is raised again, and we have hope. And so it's not just stop suffering in silence because, you know, it's better to just share your feelings. It's not stop suffering in silence so that we can normalize positive mental health, right? It's stop suffering in silence because he has given you the model in himself. 
And he has given you the body to support and encourage you. So stop suffering in silence because he has a plan that's better than the one that you've chosen for yourself. Here's what that can look like. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's what it looks like. This is his plan that's better than our plan. Our plan is to just be at home quietly where nobody can see into our suffering. His plan is that we would share one another's burdens and that when we see how others have been comforted, that we receive comfort. And when others see how we've been comforted, they receive comfort. That's his plan. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Paul's talking about serious affliction, right? He's not talking about minor inconveniences. He's not talking about rising gas prices. He's not talking about having to reset your router for the third time, right? He's talking about being thrown in prison and being tortured and being shipwrecked and barely making it to the land, right? And having a snake come out of the fire and bite him. That's what he's talking about when he talks about his affliction. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That is where we end up, right? When we are heavily laden, when we are burdened, and when we take counsel only in our soul all day long, we end up despairing of life itself. And we say things like, I think I want to kill myself, but I don't want to tell anyone because I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I think I might want to take my own life because I am in such despair. I think I might want to withdraw entirely from all people forever because I'm in such despair. I am despairing of my life. And Paul says, we know that. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was only to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There is our hope. God who raises the dead, who has raised Jesus, the first fruits. God who will raise us also. That's a strange thing. If that's hard for you to believe, understand. It's been hard for many to believe right? People have come to Jesus and said specifically, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've seen you heal. I want to believe that you can heal again me, my soul, that you can raise me from the dead, but it's hard. But you can do this. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. And so you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Join with each other every day, every week, in your community groups. Uh, call each other. Did you know that these, that you can reach somebody else by voice on these things? It's true. I just learned this. Everybody has a number, and you can call them, and they sometimes will pick up, and you can talk to them. And it is more effective than just texting. You get something of the emotion of the person in their voice. It's a thing. Share with one another. Do not suffer in silence. He has given you himself. 
So stop suffering in silence. Here's faithfulness in the midst of suffering, crying out to the Lord to secure safety in the Lord, just like we did tonight. That period of lament, that time together corporately, that is so important. And share your honest feelings with the Lord. Before you get to the place of God, I think I could do it better with you. Ask him, where are you? What is going on? Just as Psalm 13 directs us to do, cry out to the Lord. And cry out to the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Not just at home. Do it at home, but do it here. And do it in your community groups and on the phone with each other. Share one another's burdens. Love each other well. And bear witness to what God has done. Tell people your stories. And tell people other stories that you've heard about who God is and what he's done. This is how he wants to build up and encourage the body. This is what he wants to do for you. This is the gift that he has given you. Don't suffer in silence and throw it away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that you have given us your son and that we have that everlasting hope. Because Lord, we have despaired unto death. And we have suffered silently for so long and we need you so desperately. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us yourself and thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Indwell us now. We ask, Lord, that you would come into us and make your home in us and that we would make our home with you and that this body right here tonight, this group of believers would take advantage of these gifts that you've given us. That we would not suffer silently, Lord, but that we would find hope and healing in body, Uh, and in mind and in soul with you, Lord Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen.